Funny. That's good to be together. Um, we'd love to have you take out a Bible and turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you need a Bible, there are red ones um, somewhere close to you in the seat in front of you, probably. Um, and you can grab that. I do not have the page number written down. So if somebody looks up Romans chapter 12 in the red Bibles and then shouts out the page number, that would be really helpful. And Travis, do you mind turning the lights up just a little bit? What was it? 1035. Very good. So that's, that's where Romans 12 is in the, uh, in the red Bibles there. So, so that you can uh, follow along. So how did you spend your extra hour? How did the, the, the whole fallback thing, the idea of having an extra hour, how many of you spent your extra hour sleeping? You got an extra hour of rest last night, just like good to go. How many of you stayed up an extra hour and hopefully we're doing something fun? Okay, very good. Uh, how many of you completely forgot and have been wandering the whole of the halls for the last hour because you forgot it was time change weekend? Okay, so not very many of you. Very good. I'm glad you made it. Glad you made it in. It's, uh, it is a nice, nice little gift to have, uh, to have an extra hour of sleep. So this morning, we are, as Shiloh introduced, we are starting this new four-week series called More Than a Song. We're talking about what it means to worship, what it means to be people who, who worship God. And uh, this is a, a core part of our church, you know, at Journey, we talk about the four things we do as a mission is to worship, connect, grow, and serve. So worship is, is a, an essential part of what it means to be a church, to be a disciple of Jesus. And so we're going to be experimenting and, and changing the flow of our worship gatherings a bit, uh, because sometimes what can happen is we come and we know it's like, oh, okay, here's where we sing the two songs, and then here's where we, uh, we do the sermon, and then here's where uh, we do the offering, and, and, and we just can kind of get into a routine, and routines can, not saying they have, but they can turn into just kind of a, a rut, where we just, we, we shift into autopilot and we just kind of go rather than being aware and attentive to what the Spirit is saying to us. And so we're going to take this opportunity over the next four weeks to uh, introduce some new practices, to incorporate some different elements into our worship gathering, some testimony, and uh, really excited about what God may want to do in our, uh, in our own lives as we, as we do this. So I hope, uh, I hope you're up for that. So um, I want to introduce you to a guy named uh, Augustine, Augustine of Hippo. Uh, some people have the coolest names, right? Augustine of Hippo, maybe you know him as St. Augustine or St. Augustine, um, as some people pronounce it. But he was one of the most influential church leaders in the first 500 years of the church. Like, so after, you know, the apostles, after, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the disciples of Jesus had passed away, in the first 500 years of the church, St. Augustine, you could make a case that he was one of the most influential leaders. And a little bit about his story, um, if, if you're not aware. So he was a, he was a wild young man. He, he grew up with a, with a dad who just kind of worshipped the, the pagan gods of Rome, but his mother was a Christian. So as a young man, he just, he didn't really want anything to do with, with religion, with spirituality. And so he, the path he took was just trying to find pleasure and enjoyment any way he could. And the way he did that was through excess, right? I mean, just, just poured himself in any, if it feels good, I'm going to do it. Just pure like hedonism, if you're familiar with that. Just finding, finding something that's pleasure. So it was, um, he, he drank and he drank a lot and went to wild parties and, um, you know, promiscuity, uh, just sort of sleeping around with lots of different people. And, um, 
He talked about stealing and getting a rush from the, you know, just the thrill of stealing something. Uh, it tells a story about breaking into a neighbor's orchard, kind of their garden, and taking these pears, stealing pears. But the point wasn't to steal the pear to eat them. It was to steal the pears just to feed them to the pigs. Because it was more about the thrill of doing something you weren't supposed to do. Some of you, we've, we've talked about this before, you have that inner rebel. Like when the sign says no trespassing, you just like walk on the other side of the sign, right? I will loiter. I don't know what loitering is exactly, but I'll look it up and then I'm going to do that thing because the sign says don't loiter. Um, so this was this was Saint, uh, Saint Augustine. And... He, he finally, he kind of got his life together, went to school, and it was at school that he, he learned that he was brilliant. And everybody else learned that he was brilliant. I mean, got a gift in him with an unbelievable mind. And so he, he really excels in school, and he gets this position of teaching rhetoric at a university, and his career path is just right, it's just up and to the right. And, and he gets to this place where he realizes, as a, as a fairly young man, that all of that like pleasure-seeking he did in his youth left him feeling empty. Like no matter what he did, it just left his heart aching for more because he just felt empty and, uh, and, and alone. And his success that he, he had in his professional career left him in the same place. I mean, he, he had achieved um, in, in some really remarkable ways, and it still it just left him with his ache inside of his heart feeling empty. And so he finally, um, in this beautiful, miraculous way, hearing this kind of inner voice that says, like, you know, take this book and, and read. And he finds an open Bible and he reads uh, in um, the book of Romans. He reads this message that fulfillment is only found in Christ, in Jesus Christ. So he surrenders his life to Christ and is baptized and he spends the next 10 years just completely with all his brilliance and with all his passion pouring himself into what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, being formed in the way of Jesus. And so 10 years now, as a, as a follower of Jesus, he sits down and he writes this prayer. And this prayer turns into hundreds and hundreds of pages. And it's his autobiography. That word got caught in my, my mouth. His autobiography. So it's telling his whole life story in prayer to God. And it's maybe his greatest uh, literary work. It's called The Confessions. And here's what he says in the first chapter. It's maybe his most famous statement. If you've heard anything of St. Augustine, you've probably heard this phrase. And he's talking to God in prayer. He says, God, you move us to delight in praising you. For you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And this is a guy who knows something about a restless heart. Right? Uh, it's Bruce Springsteen. Somebody else who knows something about it. Everybody's got a hungry heart, right? Um, look that up later, kids. The, this is the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Um, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. See, the truth is we were made to worship. This is what St. Augustine is saying, and this is what everybody who has spent time thinking about these kinds of things knows, is that we were made to worship. Like our Creator formed us with, with this need, this innate need to worship, and we will by design worship something or someone. The only question is what or whom. Like we, if we're not intentionally saying we, we are going to worship God and our hearts are going to find the rest in you. We will end up worshiping all sorts of other things. 
What are some things as you, as you think about your life, and you don't have to shout it out loud, this is kind of an internal question for you to process. What are the things or the, the other people you're tempted to worship? Just begin to think about that. What are places that you've like, you've looked for your heart to find rest in that place, but it just, it left you feeling empty and restless? I'll just name a couple, maybe as you keep thinking. Money is one. Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. Both God and, he calls it mammon. He gives, he gives money in this like lust for things. He gives it a name, calls it mammon, because it has a God-like power. It's an idol. So you can't, he says you can't serve both God and, and stuff and mammon. And, and that's one of the places we, we worship. We, we worship money. We, we can worship achievement. Achievement. Um, like Augustine, we can worship achievement in our career, like career achievement and advancement and, um, and, and just getting the next promotion and um, a pay raise, all of those things. Or we can worship achievement in play. Right in in sports in uh, the, the, our hobbies, man. If I could just take ten strokes off my golf game, you know, I would be, I'd be so fulfilled, or whatever it is for you. That that sense of achievement. Um, what you're going to find with all of these things is none of them are bad. Most of them are, are not bad. They're just misplaced. Um, we can worship other people. We can worship celebrities. The people we want to aspire to be like. Is this a worship picture of a worship gathering or somebody waiting for their favorite musician to get off the plane? Like, what is that? Um, you, see, you see this all, all over the place. And ladies, just so you don't feel picked on, like, check out this one, right? Praise God from whom all... Yeah, this is, I think, this is what's happening, right? Um, this is today at 12 o'clock. So this is like, settle down, settle down. It's, it's 40 minutes away. Chiefs are in big trouble today is all I'm saying. <laughs> big trouble. Come on, Browns. Um, there's going to be some worship happening today at 12 o'clock. Right? I mean, there's going to be some people who have put their, all, of their, all of their worth, all of their value in this game, in this team, in this kingdom. Um, and so we can, we can also, and here, here's one that, that hits really close to home and that I, I've been thinking a lot about over the last couple of months is I think we can worship our families. We can worship our families. What, what does that look like? Again, these are not bad things. These are just misplaced things. So we put our primary place of, uh, of our heart's desire in, into our families. Um, I had a conversation recently with, with a gentleman who is not a part of the church, not a part of the community, uh, just somehow discovered the church and called me and said, can, can, we, can I come in and talk? And, and we did, and as we talk just starts to tell the story of his relationship with his wife of 25 years that is completely disintegrated. I say, like, okay, so tell, tell me about this. And he starts to unpack it, and he says, you know, like, we've got these kids, and now they're, they're grown, but while they were growing, we poured everything into them. I mean, we poured everything into them. We took them everywhere. We, we, anything they wanted to be a part of, we, we were a part of it. We said yes. We took them to, to you know, all of their you know, traveling sports teams and all of this stuff. We just, like, our whole life revolved around our kids. And now that our kids aren't in the picture anymore, we have nothing that is holding us together. And this is not uncommon. Like, right? We, we, maybe you feel that. And I think what can happen is, again, we can put this misplaced sense of worship on our families, this amazing gift that God has given us to nurture our children as disciples of Jesus. 
And, and we can misplace this desire to say, man, I'm just going to give, give my kids everything they want. I'm going to pour into them. And if they achieve, then they'll be happy. And it's a misplaced, it's a misplaced sense of worship. So all of these things, all of these things are just, they're, they're, they're just missing the mark. And so as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we affirm that God, the God revealed in Jesus, is the only one worthy of our worship. That, that we will be restless until we direct, we intentionally direct our hearts to worship and to find rest in the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what we confess as Christians. That's why we gather on a morning like this to remind ourselves of this. So I want to just kind of, um, as you're know, talking about worship, what do you, when, when, when somebody asks you the question, hey, how was worship today? What are they talking about? What are they talking about? How was worship today? What do you think? The singing, right? Or, or the sermon? Those are usually the two things we think. How was worship today? Well, like the singing or the sermon. How, how was it? Um, and, and some of you... Some of you like realize like, oh man, I'm coming to a series and we're talking about worship and somebody's going to try to make me sing and I don't like to sing. I, singing is not my jam. Somebody's going to try to make me raise my hands and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Um, I don't sing well. Singing, singing isn't my thing. And I come to worship and I see a worship gathering like this and I see all these other people and they seem to be into it and they seem to be singing and whatever, but it's just not me. And, and maybe that's where you are. Um, I can I can tell you uh, with uh, with all sense, nobody's going to force you to raise your hands. Nobody's going to like try to coax you in to doing something you are not comfortable with doing. And, and we realize that we were made while while our worship gatherings are beautiful and important and an essential part of our life as followers of Jesus. Worship is more than just our singing together. It's more than just a song. And some of you are wired to connect with God in different ways. That you connect with God in really beautiful ways. Like in the morning as you maybe have a cup of coffee and you open your Bible and you just read um, meditatively. Again, my words have all been used for the day, so I'm running on fumes here. Um, You read slowly these the words the words of god and and you just let god speak to you in the morning and that's like man your heart tunes to praise god in that moment god puts a song or in your heart for some of you it's silence and solitude for some of you 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 never feel closer to god than when you're creating something one of my one of my daughters is like this right it's just like it's when you're creating when you're in the wood shop when you're sewing or whatever it is you're doing you you feel alive and you feel this, the presence of God with you in these moments. For me, it's it's almost always the places that I am like moved to worship, um, in, in in just kind of the the most meaningful ways is when I'm outside. It's just kind of the way I'm wired. Um, on Thursday, Thursday's my Sabbath, and so Carmen and I. Um, we, we kind of broke away from things uh, late in the morning on Thursday and went to one of our favorite places in town, called Sand, uh, Sand Hill State Park. So just a little gem uh, outside of Hutchinson. And, and just spent like an hour just kind of running on the trails. And, you know, it's a beautiful morning. It's cool. The leaves are, you know, beautiful and falling. And, and we see a couple of deer as we're running. And it's like the, the whole time we're there, I just have this sense of unbelievable gratitude for these moments that I find really hard to put into words. And like almost to the point of tears. And like I'm kind of crying because I'm trying to keep up with Carmen, but I'm also, I'm, I'm crying because like this, this, I feel so close to God. And I just, I find myself saying, thank you. God, thank you. And, and that, that feeling, it just, it lasts. 
Um, so I love our worship gatherings, but next week what we're going to do is we'll put your running shoes on because we're going to San Jose State Park and we're all, we're all going to chase Carmen around the trails. We're not going to do that. Um, so let's take a look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We're just going to look at it like this one verse, verse and a half. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your bodies, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind. So uh, this is what we want to do. We just want to meditate on this one like verse and a half here for the rest of our, our teaching time this morning. And notice how like when, when the Apostle Paul, he's, start, he's talking to the church about worship. He says, like, in, in my words, all true worship begins with a view of God's mercy. Right? Just like you, you start looking at how God has been merciful to you. And that's where worship begins. This, this view of, of God's mercy and all worship flows from this place of gratitude for what God has already done for us. Like, notice what he doesn't say. Okay, brothers and sisters, I urge you in view of God's impending judgment, worship him. He doesn't say because God's wrath is ready to be uncorked, you know, and poured out on you, worship him. It's not what he says. Where does the, where does the, the impetus to worship come from? It comes from gratitude at God's mercy, at God's compassion. We, we look at how God has been merciful to us and it compels us to respond. Now, notice the first word in, in chapter 12, verse 1. What's the first word? Therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore in the text, ask the question, what is it therefore? Um, so you, you, because like chapter 12 is making this, it's making a turn in the letter. We're jumping in kind of midstream and chapter 12, like Paul's been building this case about the goodness of the gospel. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he says, now, therefore, in light of everything we've already talked about, worship, let your lives be worship. So let's just take a minute and, and think, what is the, what is the, the, the case Paul has been making? What is God's mercy that we're responding to with worship? So if you're familiar with the book of Romans, like what Paul's doing is he's making this unbelievable case about what God has done in Jesus. And he, he starts in, in chapters 3 and 4, Romans 3 and 4. And he says, like, God has been faithful to Abraham and, and Abraham's descendants through, throughout human history. This amazing, like, group of people who are like the most jaded, you fallen people, a lot like us, right? And, and God is yet, in, in spite of all of their failures, God has been faithful to them. God has been merciful, extravagantly merciful to them. And he's promised, I'm going to bless you and you are going to like radiate blessing out into the world. So he starts in verses, chapters three and four of Romans talking about that. And then he gets to chapters five, chapter five. And he says, now in Adam, everything went south. Everything, you know, was broken because of human sin and rebellion. But in Christ, everything's being restored. So in, in Adam is where the world got off track, but in Christ, Christ is the new Adam, and in Christ is being formed the new humanity. People who are learning how to live the way of Jesus in the world. And so he, he, he points to that, and then he gets to chapters 6 to 8, and, and he's, he's recalling the story of Exodus in the Old Testament. He says, like you, uh, like we were slaves in sin, 
And just like the, the, the Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt and they could not rescue themselves, we were slaves in our sin and we could not rescue ourselves. But Christ has rescued us and he has brought us through the waters, not of the Red Sea, but the waters of baptism. And he has brought us into this place that taught us to teach us new life, to live with God. He has set us free from sin. Chapter 7, he says he's put his spirit inside of us. And he's kind of relating to the Old Testament where Moses went up on the mountain and he received the laws, the commandments from God. And it was this, this external commandment that says, like, you're, you're commanded to obey this. It was an outside-in approach. But in Christ, the laws aren't outside somewhere out there. The laws are put in our heart because God has put his spirit inside of us. And so we're compelled from the inside out to live for him. This is what he says in chapter 7. And then he gets to chapter 8 and he says, Now, just like the children of Israel came into the promised land, you are being taken to the promised land. That, that someday all of creation will once again sing the songs of God. And just like now in your body, in your broken body, you groan to be liberated, to be set free, to experience all that God has for you. And all of creation is groaning along with you. Someday you will be set free and all of creation will join in the song. And he builds this beautiful case of God's mercy and he gets to chapter 12 and then he says, therefore, therefore. Give yourselves, give yourselves in worship to God. If you have lost passion for God, like if you would just like, in, in all honesty, say like, I, I don't have much of a fire burning in my heart for God right now. And, and you come to a worship gathering and it's like, yeah, I, there's, there's, nothing, there's not really much there. I can almost guarantee that in some way you have lost sight of God's mercy. And so the answer isn't trying to drum something up that isn't there. The answer isn't, well, maybe if I just sing loud, if I just raise my hands, I'm like, maybe something will happen, I'll spark it. The answer is just gazing again at the extravagant mercy of God. To just fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, he, he uses this word, he says, so I urge you, therefore. And the word urge, it has this sense of coming alongside and like encouraging and like keeping somebody moving who's just tired and doesn't want to move anymore. Now, my guilty pleasure right now, like I always see heads, like in the other two services, see heads pop up, like his guilty, what's he going to talk about? Uh, my guilty pleasure right now, like when I have some spare time or when I, um, in procrastinating something that I should be doing is I watch these YouTube videos about people who run insanely long distances. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Like people who run 100-mile races, like ultra-marathons. And, and I watched one recently, Carmen and I watched it together, about this guy named Carl Speedgoat Meltzer. Now, Speedgoat is not his middle name. Um, it's, it's his nickname, just to clarify, in case you wondered. Um, Speedgoat. So... Um, this is a guy, Carl Meltzer, in 2016, he set the record for the fastest point-to-point through hike on the Appalachian Trail. Now, the Appalachian Trail goes from, from Maine to Georgia, uh, and he did it. It's 2,190 miles, 2,190 miles, and he did it in 45 days, 22 hours and 38 minutes. So like 48 miles a day. This guy covers. And so um, when we're watching this video and it's like his training and he's on the trail and he just has these days and days and days on end when he's on top of the world. Like he's just like plowing through 60, 70, 80 miles a day, feeling great. I'm going to shatter the record. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're two weeks into this thing. 
And you're like four pairs of shoes into this thing. And you are done. Like he's just absolutely fried. His feet are shredded. Um, and, and his legs ache. He's like, I can't go on anymore. His stomach won't hold down food. And it is just, is absolutely the most painful thing. And so it's in these moments, like that these people who come alongside of him, urge him forward. He has his brother, or his best friend and his dad, or his, his crew, his support team. And they're meeting him. They have this whole van, and they've taken like uh, these 45 days off of work, and they're just meeting him at every road. And at every road, they, they you know, take his shoes off, and they bandage his, his blisters, and they rub his legs, and, and they you know, force some food into him, and they refill his water bottles. And they're, they're just like, you can do this. You can do this. You've trained for this. You have what you need. And it's this amazing picture of just being urged Forward, Like, this is the image that I see when Paul says, like, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, view of God's mercy, move forward in worship. There is this amazing, amazing sense of being compelled, being compelled to worship, that we are spiritual family. We are brothers and sisters, brothers from other mothers and sisters from different misters. We are part of a family of God. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. Every time we come together and we worship, or every time we pray, right? And even in when we're praying alone. Like sometimes when, when I pray in, in the morning, I have this prayer of confession um, that I'll, I'll, I'll pray. And I always use we and us language. Father, forgive us. We have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, by what we have done and by what we've left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us so we may walk in your ways and delight in your name to the glory to the glory of your name. And we use this we and us language because it reminds us that it's not just me and Jesus. I'm a part of a family of faith. I'm a part of this transnational, transracial, a transpolitical family of God. And it urges us forward. And then notice, um, kind of the last thing we'll point out, is that worship includes our whole bodies. Our whole bodies are included in worship. And it's just a way of saying, like, your whole self is, is offered to God. Worship is not just this internal thing we do. It's not just our thoughts. It's not just our hearts. It's everything. It's our whole being. Or our whole bodies are offered to God, where it's not just um, <clears throat> worship is that thing that I do in that one hour, or those two hours a week, and then I'll go back to my private life, and I have these things over here that have nothing to do with, with my worship of God. But there, there's that, that sense of dichotomy, of duplicity, it, it's... It's nowhere to be found in the Christian faith. That the only sort of offering that is acceptable to God is this surrender of our whole selves. Of just like, just we're, we're all in our physical bodies. And so when we sing, what are we doing? We're using our bodies to create sound. And we're using our mouth to form these words that give praise and honor to God. It's, it's, it's a bodily experience. You may raise your hands as a, as a symbol of surrender. Um, you may kneel in prayer using your bodies. You use your body to worship when, you, when you're present with people who are hurting and you serve others. When you do meaningful work in God's world. When you create for God's glory. When you eat with gratitude in your hearts. Right? This is, this is an act of worship to celebrate the goodness of God in this simple act of eating. Uh, we learn when you go to school and you, you pray the prayer that says, God, help me to learn. Help me in my mind to be formed so that I can be fully equipped to be a servant and useful in your world and whatever you call me to do. 
Um, our bodies, your body is this little plot of ground that God has given you. And it's, it's this, this thing that God has given you to be in charge of. And you get to direct it. You get to use it. You get to use it in worship for God. And he says it's kind of like this sacrifice. It's kind of like human sacrifice. Like if you were listening to this this like letter in the first in the first century, and Paul says, "Okay, so here's the deal: God is worthy. Therefore, offer your bodies to God as a sacrifice." You'd be like, "What? Like since when is human sacrifice a part of Christian worship? Like this is this is scary." But he he qualifies it and he says it's living sacrifice. It's like it, it's the sacrifice that isn't bringing something that was alive and we're going to kill it and and thinking God is going to find glory in that. But we're actually going to bring something that is alive and we're going to teach it how to live for God. This living sacrifice. And it's an oxymoron, right? Living sacrifice. What are your favorite oxymorons? Go ahead, shout them out. Any? Jumbo shrimp. I think we've had that one in all three services, jumbo shrimp. Uh, Act naturally. It's one of my favorites. Act naturally. The original copies. Uh, That's a fine mess. You're clearly confused. Country music. Um, these are all good. I had to say that. It's like a running joke, right? Don't be offended if you're a country music fan. Um, one of my favorites is the, do you know the Department of the United States government that manages everything outside, like all the outdoors? Do you know what it's called? The Department of the Interior. It's like, what? Somebody has a sense of humor who was creating that. So, yeah, their mission statement, the Department of the Interior's mission statement is to, um, is to care for America's great outdoors. So that's kind of funny. So this idea of, of, of living sacrifice, it's this oxymoron, right, that says, like, no, 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 like, it, it's this, it's all of life, living, breathing, creating, our bodies, our whole selves being brought to God to say, God, I am yours, and I'm going to live today as an act of worship. And of course, that is going to include singing, it is going to include lifting our voices, it is going to include everything we do on a Sunday morning, but it doesn't stop when we leave this place. So as we end, here's what I, this portion of the service, what I'd like to do is introduce you to a, a practice called the prayer of examine. And it's been, a, it's, it's a relatively new practice for me, uh, but it's been incredibly helpful and it's been incredibly helpful to thousands and thousands of people for the last hundreds and hundreds of years. And so here, um, here's how the prayer of examine works. So at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, you, you just, you stop Sometime between, like, you know, you're done with your activities, but you're not so tired that you're going to fall asleep, right? So in that sweet spot, you stop, and you make yourself aware of God's presence with you. And, and sometimes what I'll do is I just pray this, this three-phrase prayer. Here I am. Here you are. Here we are together. And this is a, this is a prayer to God. God, here I am. I am here. I am now. I'm not thinking about other things I need to do. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. Here I am. God, here you are. You are with me. And here we are together. We have fellowship. And I enjoy that. And then what you do in that moment where you're aware of God's presence, you just it's like you push play on the video of your day. And you just let, you just let your day run through your mind. The things that you did. The people you encountered. The, um, the conversations you had. The projects you were a part of. The places you went. And you just let that video play for a couple of minutes. And, and you can just ask yourself some questions as that video is playing. God, what am I most grateful for today? Like, what am I most grateful for? 
Where did I feel most alive, most fulfilled, most in sync with you, God? And you just, you just worship God in those moments. God, thank you for the goodness of your presence. And then, and then you ask the question, again, as this, this video continues to play, you ask the questions, God, where, what am I least grateful for today? Where did I feel the most stress, the most anxiety, the most frustration? What do I most regret about today? Were there places where I sinned, where I trespassed, where I, I, I placed my heart in something else that didn't deserve it? And then with all of that in view, we just sort of bring it all into the ocean of God's mercy. And we just receive the forgiveness of God. This is a, this is a prayer called the Prayer of Examine. And I'd love to have you give it a try this week. Because what I've found for myself is that when I'm aware of God throughout the week, throughout my ordinary days, it changes the way I come to worship on Sunday morning or these gatherings. So we've been making lots of fires out back. We have this little fire pit. And uh, this last week we, we did it a couple times. And Friday night, you know, we had uh, some friends over. Or, um, and and uh, fantastic time together. And then the fire dies down. We go to bed. Well, the next morning, my son always wakes up early. I'm like, hey, Grayson, let's go outside. And we get around the fire pit. And I'm like, check this out. Is there any fire left in the fire pit? He's like, no, it's all just like ashes, right? It's all white. You can't see any fire. I'm like, well, look at this. And kind of move the ashes aside. And there are these red coals underneath. And so we go over and we get some dry leaves. And we put the dry leaves like on the red coals. And I just like you know, kind of blow on it a little bit. And you know exactly what happens, right? Those leaves just whoosh, burst into flame. And you thought it was the coolest thing in the world. This is what it's like to come to worship when, when you're not trying to ask God to spark something inside of you. Like you're not like, God, would you, would you start a fire inside of me? Would you like make these songs do this? But you actually have these hot coals that have been burning all week long because you've been living your life as a, as a living sacrifice to God. And all we do is allow the wind of the Spirit to come and to blow and ignite this fire in our hearts. So God, in these moments, as we sing, as we pray, as we, uh, as we give as an act of worship to you, God, we ask that you would just teach us what it means to be yours, to be all yours, all in with you. And God, if there's any way that we have put our, our hearts in something that doesn't deserve it, in someone who, who doesn't deserve it, in anything that is not you, the living God, forgive us and teach us, God, what it means, what it means for our hearts to find true rest, the rest that we long for in you, Jesus. Help us to have a view of your mercy that compels us to worship.